17. Uh, if you'd stand with me, I'm going to read verses 16 all the way down to the end of the chapter, verse 34. So I'll try to move quickly here so you're not standing for a while. Uh, but we'll pray, or we'll, we'll read Acts 17, 16 through 34, and then we'll pray and get right into the message this evening. It says, Now when Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him. When he saw the city wholly given to adultery, therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons, and in the market daily with them that met with him. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and the Stoics encountered him, and some said, What will this babbler say? Others said, other some, uh, He seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods, because he preached unto them Jesus in the resurrection. And they took him and brought him um, unto Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is. For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears, we would know therefore what these things mean. For all the Athians and strangers were, uh, which were um, there spent their time in nothing else, but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and behold, uh, beheld your devotions, I found an altar with the inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with man's, men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath in all things. And he hath made of one blood all nations of men, for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bonds of their inhabitation, uh, that they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. In the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection and of the dead, some mocked, and others said, We will hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from thence. Howbeit certain men clave unto him and believed, among the which was Dionysius the Areopagite, and the woman named Demarius, and others with him. Let's pray. Dearly Father, Lord, we thank you again uh, for just this entire week, Lord, of the Missions Conference. Lord, I thank you for each and every one uh, of the messages, Lord, that have speaking to our hearts, Lord. Uh, not just on giving, but also going, Lord. Lord, I pray that once again tonight, Lord, you would meet with us. Lord, I need your help. Father, I pray for just the next several minutes. Lord, would you fill me? Would you work in and through me? Lord, help me to not get in your way, but allow your Holy Spirit to work and move, starting with my heart and everyone's here uh, this evening. Lord, give us exactly what we need from your word, Lord. Lord, stir our hearts. Lord, move in our lives when it comes to reaching our neighbor, when it comes to reaching the lost around the world. Lord, we pray that everything that is said and done, Lord, would bring honor and glory to you. We love you. 
We thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Uh, Acts chapter 17, kind of coming into verse 16 here. Uh, we see Paul, Silas, uh, Timothy, and Luke. They go first to Thessalonica, and they go there to preach the word, to preach, preach the gospel. And the Jews there uh, drive Paul out and run him out of town. And so they go on to Berea. And they begin to do the Lord's work there, and the same thing happens. We, we read that the Jews then follow them into Berea, and trouble just keeps going wherever Paul goes. And they, they drive him out of town there. And it says that some of the brethren then take Paul down to Athens without uh, uh, Silas and Timothy. And when Paul gets there, we see that he's waiting, and he tells the young men to go back and tell, tell Silas and Timothy to join me here. Well, while he's waiting, we come into verse 16 here on why Paul is waiting for them to return. And I want to talk to you tonight about a spirit-stirred servant. I know it's kind of a tongue twister, but that was the title I gave it, all right? Uh, but I want to talk to you about being stirred up by what Paul sees here. Look at verse 16 with me. The first thing I want us to look at is that Paul is stirred. Verse 16 says, Now when Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Paul was stirred. That word stirred means to be moved or put into action. Paul's looking as he's waiting. He sees the great need of the gospel there in Athens and it stirs them up to want to do something. That they need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? We see that uh, if you look in the book of Acts, there's a number of times where the word stirred is brought up and usually it's, every time you see it, it's in a negative sense where the, the Jews are stirring up the people to actually attack or to run Paul and the apostles out of town. This is the one time I'd say it's in a positive sense where a man of God is looking at this lost condition of, of the city and the Holy Spirit stirs him. Amen? Moves him to action. I want to ask you tonight, what stirs us? What puts us into action? I kind of mentioned it the other night um, with, with sports. But again, I present that to you that we get so stirred up, we get so moved out of someone throwing a pigskin around and then acting like an idiot, if I'm allowed to say that behind the pulpit, I apologize. But in all seriousness, grown men acting like little toddlers on a football field. And we get all excited and pumped out about that, but we don't get moved when it comes to what God's doing here in this earth. Amen? I want to talk to you about, what about politics? Oh, we get so stirred up over that. Don't worry, I'm not going to preach on politics, all right? But we get so stirred up about that. You know what? I got convicted. We were at a, a church one time in Ohio, and I heard a, a, evangel- or a preacher that I, I highly look up to, and he said, it's really sad when a lost person walks into the church, and all they hear about is us griping about this politician or, or this law and that. And it seems like the only man of God that at least has a close walk with the Lord is when the pastor gets up behind the pulpit and preaches the Word of God. But if they listen to us and they watch us, that we don't seem any different than they are. What stirs us? I pray that when we get into the Word of God and we get on our face and we ask God to feed us, to give us what we need uh, when we get up in the morning as we begin to go throughout our day, that we're stirred, that we're moved by what God gives us, how He feeds us from His Word. Amen? I pray that when we go to God in prayer, when we seek His will and ask Him to do what only He can do, that when we walk up from that prayer time, that we're stirred, that we're refreshed, that we're moved. I pray that when we look out on the city of Anchorage and around the world that we're stirred to want to do something. 
I challenge us tonight, myself and then you, what stirs us? What moves us to action? And then we see why Paul is stirred there in verse 16 again. It says, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw. When he saw. I think of Limitations 3.51 where Jeremiah says, My eye affecteth mine heart. He stirred because of the condition of the people. Listen, Paul doesn't see the beautiful buildings and the landscape. I think of when we got here to Alaska. My favorite state is Montana just because of the beauty of the land. And now I can't say it's Montana anymore because every pastor I talk to there is right. Everything's bigger in Alaska. The mountains are just breathtaking. But that doesn't stir me. It's, it's amazing, but that's not what stirs me. He's not moved by their coliseums or their sporting events or things like that. That's not what he looks at and that stirs him. He's stirred because of the spiritual condition and the need of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. For their need to hear the gospel. And then that leads to the next thing here in verse 16. It says, When Paul waited for them in Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. That word holy means entirely or completely given to idolatry. Worshipping every other God that there is out there other than the one true God, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? This is what stirred him, that moved him to action, to want to do something, to want to reach the lost. And I'm sad, it's sad to say, but more and more, that's exactly what America's turning out to be, is a, a land wholly given to idolatry. It seems that everyone worships and believes in everything else other than the Lord Jesus Christ. The more we've traveled on deputation, the more my heart breaks that America needs missionaries right here. We need more young men of God to rise up and say, I'll go to my neighbor, I'll go to this next town and, and try to plant a church or to reach this next group of people in the next town over. We need missionaries right here. God's called me to East Africa, but it breaks my heart that there's not more young men and families saying, I'll go right here to America. He stirred because of the spiritual condition. And then I believe that's exactly what we see in 17. It moves him. I wrote Paul Speaks, verse 17. It says, Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. Listen, Paul doesn't waste any time. He does what he does in every town he goes to. He goes first to the synagogue. And then after that, as they won't listen to him anymore, it says there he goes to the Jews and the devout persons. But then he goes to the market daily with them that meet with him, the Bible says. He goes everywhere. The synagogue, the market, anywhere someone will listen to him. He goes to everyone, anyone that will come and listen to what he has to say. And then he goes every day. It says there daily. Paul doesn't just go once and say, well, I guess that's enough. I guess my time's done. No, he goes daily to try to win, to try to lead those to the Lord that he can over and over and over again. Amen? Listen, if we're trying to lead someone to the Lord, if it's a family member or someone we know, many times it's not going to happen that first time. We've got to keep watering and planting those seeds. Amen? Going daily back unto them. I think of Jeremiah 20, verse 9. It says, Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name, but his word was in mine heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I was weary for forbidding, and I could not stay. Jeremiah pretty much says, I, I, I'm done. I don't want to say anything. I'm, I'm done, Lord. 
But he says it was like a burning fire within me that I couldn't resist. I had to speak. That's how we should be, child of God. Amen? When we see this world. I think of 1 Corinthians 9.16, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing of, uh, to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. We've got to share the hope, the only hope that mankind has, and we have it, amen, to share with them. So we see Paul speaks again to everyone, everywhere, every day. A pastor once said in a conference we were in, he said, witness to every available person in every available place on every available time. I think that's a good model to live by, amen, if we would just follow it. And so we see that Paul speaks. And then we see the people's skepticism, or they're, they're, they're questioning here. Look at verses 18 through 21. It says, Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him, and some said, What will this babbler say? Others some, He seemed to be a setter forth of strange gods, because he preached unto them Jesus in the resurrection. And they took him and brought him unto Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine thereof, or whereof thou speakest is. For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears, we would know therefore what these things mean. For all the Athians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else, but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Verse 18, it says, Jesus in the resurrection. Verse 19 says, this new doctrine. Verse 20, they say certain strange things to our ears. And then verse 20, it says, what do these things mean? They have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. They never heard of, Je of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And they're asking Paul, what do these things mean? I don't know about you, but it excites me when we, when we go out door knocking or I'm trying to witness to somebody and I begin to share the gospel and they say, pretty much, what does this mean? Share more. That gets me excited. Amen. Because they're saying, tell me more. Give me more. And so I get excited. And I don't know about you, but that should excite us. We see that they say, what do these things mean? And I'll share this with you. I thought it was a crazy statement. But when I was younger, I remember hearing missionaries and evangelists come through our church and say that there's people in America that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I thought, that's absurd. That's totally ridiculous. Until I experienced it myself. We were out door knocking one time in Southern California, or Central California. And I'll never forget it. A young man named Ahmed and his wife Priscilla, they answered the door. And, and uh, I began to witness to him. And he, had, he grew up from a gypsy background, never heard the gospel. And I was able to go spend with him several minutes and go through the gospel with him. And, and, and I asked him what he thought about it, what were his thoughts. And he, and he looked to his fiance and he said, can you share with her? Man, I got excited. Now I get to share the gospel with her as well. So she came to the doorway there and I began to go through the gospel with her. And they both had never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. But praise the Lord that they both made a decision to trust Him as their personal Lord and Savior that day. Amen. There's people, even here in America, that have not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. As a child of God, we've got to wake up and get busy for the Lord. Amen. Every single one of us. And so they say, what do these things mean? And I love how Paul wastes no time. Amen. Now, I'll work quickly through this because really where I want to get is what we've covered and then towards the end. But I believe we see this, this sermon from Paul, verses 22 through 31. 
But it says uh, there in verse 22, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with the inscription, To the, un- to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. First Peter three fourteen fifteen says, but if, ye su- uh, but if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. When someone says, what do these things mean? What, what, what is it that you believe in? What is this Jesus Christ thing all about? We need to be ready and excited to give an answer. Amen? And Paul wastes no time here. He tells them that to the unknown God, I'm going to tell you exactly who He is. And so again, I'll just move quickly through these things. But we see several things that Paul preaches to them here. Verse 24, it says, God, uh, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that He is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. He's telling them that He is the Creator of all. Amen? He's not just like all the other idols that you worship, that you go to and you put your trust and faith in, that we've made with our own hands. But with His hands, He created and spoke into existence all that there is. Amen? He's not like all the other idols. I think in Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, it says, For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him, and, um, and He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. Amen? He's the creator of all that there is. Not only that, but verse 25, let's look at a couple more things here. He tells them He's the creator, not the one that's created. Verse 25, Neither is worshipped with man's hands as though He needed anything, seeing He give it to all life and breath, and all things. I wrote down, He's the one that gives us life. Amen? He's the one that has, gives us the very soul that we have, that gives us eternal life through Jesus Christ. I think of, we all know it, John fourteen six. Jesus says unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the what? The life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He's the very life. Amen? Think of John 6 and verse 40. And this is the will of Him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on Him may have everlasting life. He gives us life. Not only that, He's the sustainer. Verse 25 at the end there, it says, See that He giveth to all life and breath and all things. He gives us the very breath that we breathe every second of every day. He's our sustainer. Amen? I think of these idols... Psalm 135, I think of this verse every time I read this. It says in verses 15 through 18, The idols of the heathen are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Neither is there any breath in their mouths. They that make them are like unto them. So is everyone that trusteth in them. You know what he's saying there? They're dead. They're cold. They're lifeless. They're just stone or wood or gold or silver. There's no life in them. And everyone that makes them and puts their trust in them is the same way spiritually. They're dead. They're lifeless. But we have a heavenly Father, amen, the one and true and only God that gives us life and sustains our every... gives us breath. 
Job said in verse uh, 10 of chapter 12, "...in whose hand is the soul of every living thing and the breath of all mankind." He went on to say in chapter 33 and verse 4, "...the Spirit of God hath made me and hath breathed uh, of the Almighty hath given me life." He gives us life. He gives us the very breath, the very air that that we breathe. Amen. Every breath that we draw is a miracle of God. Not only that, but He's the provider of all. It says there the very last thing. Not only does He give it to all life and breath, but also all things. He provides our every need. Amen. I think of those idols, those, those men at Athens would have to take care of them and maintain them just so that way they looked nice and that they could go and bow down before Him and worship them. But yet God takes care of our every being. Every need we have, every want, every, everything. Again, I think of Psalm 23.1. We all know that the Lord is my shepherd. I what? Shall not want. As a child of God, He takes care of our every need. Amen. Moving right along here. Verses 26 and 29, I believe he says here, he's the Lord of all, if we had to sum it up. He says, and uh, He has made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined the times where before appointed in the bonds of their inhabitation that they should seek the Lord if happily they might feel after Him and find Him, though He be not far from every one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being as certain also of our own poets have said, for we are also His offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like, like unto gold and silver or stone graven by the art of man's device. Listen, He's the Lord of all. Amen. There's not many gods, what we'd say, uh, polytheism. There's not many gods that we can go to, that we can look to, but it's monotheism, right? One true God. He's Lord over all. Again, like Pastor, our brother Rose said this morning, uh, Ephesians, he quoted chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, by grace through faith are we saved. Amen? I think I said that right. I keep getting nervous. I'm going to say it wrong because I heard the joke, Pastor, how he said it backwards. So I'm all nervous. I'm going to say it backwards. Now. But by grace through faith alone are we saved. Amen? It's only through Jesus Christ. He is the Lord of all. And then lastly, And this little sermon that Paul delivers here, he's the Savior of all. Look at verses 30 and 31. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commendeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him up from the dead. He's the Savior of all. None of these idols will save you, is what Paul's telling them. None of these pieces of stone and gold and silver, not even this unknown God, that unknown God is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's only through His death, burial, and resurrection that we can have eternal life. Amen? Paul's telling them He's the Savior of all. And so Paul goes through this, this sermon here. They ask him, what do these things mean? He wastes no opportunity. He tells them. He's preaching unto them. He says, let me tell you exactly who this unknown God is, who the Lord Jesus Christ is, what He's done for you. And He gets done pouring His heart out. He gets done preaching to the people. And listen, when we think of the Apostle Paul, we think of the untold multitudes or the large crowds of people that were saved every time. But every time Paul preached, every time Paul went to someone, it wasn't always large crowds. He was just faithful, amen? Look at it here with me. Look at verses 32 through 34. Let's see... The people's statements is what I wrote down here. 
the results. Verse 32, And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. And others said, We will hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from among them, howbeit certain men clave unto him, and believed, among the which was Dionysius the Areopagite, and a woman named Demirius, and others with them. The first group of people, as I see there in verse 32, those that mocked. And listen, there's going to be many, many times we go and people aren't going to want to hear what we have to say. There's going to be times where they even ridicule or make fun of us and mock us at what we believe. But yet we must go, amen? We must send the missionaries. We ourselves must go, but also the missionaries must go that the world may know. I think of our greatest example. Jesus, before the crucifixion in Mark 15, verses 19-20, says this, And they smote him on the head with a reed, and did spit upon him, and bowing their knee worshipped him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple from him, and put on his own clothes on him, and led him out to crucify him. Our Lord Jesus Christ, the, the meekest of the meek, amen, the humblest of us all, became the servant of all, to the point where these men, these centurions, these soldiers, they're mocking him and spitting upon him and hitting him. And, and yet he lovingly fulfilled the Father's will and died on the Lord our cross so we could have eternal life. Amen. Some are going to mock. Some are going to make fun. I think of uh, one of our team members just recently playing at a church in Africa. And with the charismatic movement and everything going on there, a lot of the believers that he's been able to see saved and now serving in the church, one of the things that they face is that they're made fun of because they believe in... I'm trying not to get this wrong. They believe in grace through faith alone. They don't believe in works and all these other things added on to it. They, they make fun of that it's not that simple. But praise God, He did make it simple. He made it easy to where all we have to have is childlike faith and His promise to us. Amen? As men, we try to make it so complicated, and yet God makes it so easy. So some mock. And then look at verse 32 there again. It says, uh, Some mocked, and others said, We will hear of thee again of this matter. I don't know about you, but in my own personal experience, this is the hardest group of people for me. Because this is that group of people that you pour your heart out, you, you witness to them, you share that gospel over and over again, and it seems like they're possibly getting that God's working on their heart, that the Holy Spirit's convicting them. And then when it comes time to make a decision, for whatever reason, whatever it is in their life that's holding them back, they, they just can't make that decision, that, that, that leap of faith to trust Christ their Savior. And it eats me up inside because they're not promised their next breath. They're not promised tomorrow. But the truth of the matter is, is I can't make anybody get saved. It's got to be the Holy Spirit that convicts and works and moves. I'm just the messenger, amen? So no matter how badly I want them to be saved, in the end, it's their decision they have to make. And it's so hard to walk away knowing that that person, that individual, if they were to die at that moment, would still go off in eternity in the lake of fire. Not knowing Christ is their personal Savior. I think of, you're there in 16, hold your place, or Acts chapter 17, hold your place, go to Acts 26. I think of two examples here. Acts chapter 26. If you'll look at verses 28 and 29 with me. 
It says, Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am except these bonds. Probably one of the saddest statements we see in Scripture. Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. So close, but yet so far away. And then I think of Felix. And there in Acts 24, Paul's talking to them. It says, They reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. And it ends with this, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. I don't know if that convenient season ever came. Again, we're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised our next breath. But you have some men that will say, I'll hear thee out again. Or come back another time when it's more convenient. And we just have to pray for them that, hey, sometimes we're the one to plant the seed and maybe the Lord has someone else to water that He gives the increase. Amen? So there's some that mocked. There's some that questioned. And then look at verse 34, the last verse there of Acts chapter 17. It says, How be it certain men clave unto Him and believed, among the which was Dionysius the Areopagite, and a woman named Demarius, and others with them. It says some, just a few. Not a whole multitude, not a large crowd, but some. And praise the Lord for the some. Amen. We see that some will come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here's, here's the challenge tonight. I know kind of the message of, of what Paul preached was there in the middle. But the questions tonight would be this. As a child of God, what stirs us? Is it the things of this world? Is it the things, the earthly things in our lives? And listen, there's nothing wrong with some of those things. But if it's taken our focus off of our walk with the Lord and the the ultimate thing here on this earth, and that's reaching the lost for Jesus Christ. Listen, when we get to heaven, all those other things, we're not going to be able to present before the Lord. The only thing we can do is present before the Lord those we're able to take with us along the way. Amen? That we're able to reach out to and turn them from hell unto the Lord as the Holy Spirit obviously works on their heart. But we're not going to be able to present our favorite college football team or whatever it is, our favorite hobby, those things we spend all of our time doing, but the souls that we're able to lead to the Lord. Others that too came to know Christ. That's what this missions conference is all about, amen? Stirring us to go ourselves, but also to see the missionaries on our behalf go all around the world. Just because we're missionaries ourselves, we still love to give to missions and to see others go out and see what they're doing, amen? Just because you're a missionary, you don't stop giving to missions, alright? Amen? We still give. So what stirs us tonight? Do we see as God sees? Paul was stirred because of what he's seen. He was stirred because of the lost condition of the land. When we look at Anchorage, when we look at Alaska, when we look at the United States, when we look at the world, are we stirred by how much work there is still yet to do? Are we stirred by the spiritual condition just like Paul was? And then I'm closing my Bible. You can close yours. Paul pours his heart out. And again, it's not like one of those times where we see a large number, but it's just some. And I want to encourage you, Christian, tonight, 
in our lives and even in the lives of all the missionaries you support. Praise the Lord for the sum. Amen? When we see fruit come forward, when we see souls come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, just like Pastor Seaver said the other night, for the one. Amen? Every time we see that one come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, may we praise Him and exhort His name. Amen? So that's, I guess, how I'd close out the conference tonight. What stirs us? If we're going to get stirred for God, if we're going to see God work here in Anchorage and around the world through the missionaries, we've got to get stirred, put into action to do something. Amen? We've got to see as God sees the harvest, the spiritual condition of this land. And let's get busy. Let's speak like Paul spoke. Amen? Preach the gospel to every creature, just like these banners say. And then praise the Lord for the sum. Amen for the sum. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we again just thank You for this evening. Lord, I don't know everybody's heart here tonight, Lord, but You know mine. And Lord, so many times I can get distracted, I can get stirred up about the little things currently going on, Lord, and I just ask. Lord, I ask You tonight. Stir my heart, Lord, for the things of You. Lord, for the longing of Your Word, for that time in prayer. Lord, my relationship with You. But then also to my neighbor, everyone we pass by. Lord, their need for You as their own personal Savior. Lord, help us to see as You see, Lord, the the harvest You told us is is ready, Lord. It's ripe. Lord, help us to go forth. Lord, to get busy, to be put into action. Lord, to do our part where we're at, Lord, and if it's giving or if it's going. And then, Lord, any time we see fruit come forward, any time we see that person and humbly bow their head, cry out to You as their Savior, Lord, may we praise You. May we exhort Your name, Lord, and just, Lord, shout for one more soul that has now been eternally changed in You. Lord, I pray that You would be in the invitation now to come. Lord, would You continue to have Your will be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. With heads bowed and eyes still closed. What is it that stirs you? Do you have a heart for the harvest? We can tie the right ends. We concluded tonight right, right with that. When you're out and about, is it the souls that stirs you? And, and in what way does it stir you? To stir you to know that we have the answer. Not just to look around with disdain. But that we have what this world and what your neighbor, what, what this city needs. So what is it that stirs you? Perhaps there's different things the Lord has brought to your heart. Maybe you need to come and pray. Maybe you really don't know of anything. You need to pray as well. The Bible lets us know your heart's directly. I mean, where your treasure is, where your heart be also. The Bible says, and some having compassion making a difference. The heart's connected to that. And what is it that has your heart? What is it that stirs you? towards God. We certainly want that.
there's anyone here right now, let me ask this. You say, Pastor McGovern, I'm not even certain that I have been converted. What I mean by that is this. You're not even certain what would happen to you if you were to die. You're not certain if you'd go to heaven or if you'd go to hell. Or you're concerned that you would go to hell. You say, Pastor, please pray for me. I do not know what's going <clears throat> What? <clears throat> excuse me. I do not know what's going to happen to me. If that's you, would you please just, just raise your hand. Let me pray for you. Just slide your hand up and let me see it. Then you can put it back down. Anybody here like that at all? I see some, I see some small children. That's all I see. If you put your hand up, I did miss it. Listen, know this. The Lord does love you. You will be judged of him. And you are guilty. The entire reason he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth was, was to take your place in judgment. Jesus Christ died for you. He defeated the wages of sin and he rose again from the dead on the third day. He took your place 2,000 years ago. He was judged for you. If you'll come to him in that repentance and faith, he'll save you right where you're at. Christian, if the, if the Lord spoke to your heart, you come. Father, bless this invitation, Lord, I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet. Turn to page 483. And if you need to come and pray, you come and pray.